Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. The world is run by worn out people, and our soul is often lost beneath the piles of everyday life. Emily Freeman wrote that in her book, The Next Right Thing. It's all about making decisions because I think it only gets harder as we get older. The pressures change, but the emotions linger, fear, doubt. They give a steady rhythm to our decision-making process, or maybe it can be more accurately called our decision-stalling process. I invited my friend Don Wilson, who I've lovingly called Nuthead for as long as I can remember for no real reason. But he's here to walk with us through why we put so much pressure on every decision and what it could look like to simplify our process. How I walk into these seasons of my life has been completely changed by the insight Don has been pouring into my life over the past year. I think you'll feel the same after this episode. Here's no one told me what to do when I don't know what to do. Okay, we are back for another episode with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Mr. Don Wilson. I lovingly call him Nuthead. And for anyone who wants to know why, I don't have a reason. I just know when I was little, uh, my dad told me to call him Nuthead, and it has just stuck for over 25 years. Yes. (laughs) I am Nuthead, affectionately known as Nuthead, and it is affectionately. It is. It is with no disrespect. It is because it's all I've ever known. But if you didn't get to listen, last season we did an episode on marriage. I learned so much through it. I know many of you did, but if you are new to the podcast, make sure you go back to last season and listen to what Nuthead had to say about our marriages and healthy marriages. But today, it's a little bit different. A lot of what Don does every single day is sit down with people and walk through life with them. He just comes alongside them where they are, and he helps them figure out where they're trying to go. And he does that through a lot of wisdom and a lot of thoughtfulness. So I thought, who better to talk with us about what to do when you don't know what to do than one of the men that I go to most often when I don't know what to do, Don. So we're excited to have you back with us, Nuthead. It's good to be here. I will say this topic intimidates me because my baseline personality is I procrastinate and I'm a terrible decision maker. And we're going to talk about how to make good decisions. I don't do it well, but I know how to do it well. <laughs> doesn't so mean that maybe, you do it. Maybe but... that'll help. I don't know. Uh, well, and I love what you said, the procrastinating part, because in the world where we are surrounded by so much just access to distraction and media, you don't want to sit in anything for too long. So if you need your mind off of it, you can turn on the TV. You can go, my go-to lately has been shopping to my husband's great disdain. I like to just go out and browse and see what there is to see. Shopping therapy is something that I understand works. (laughs) So as we jump into this topic, I think it is one that hits every single season of life. There is always going to come a time when there is a decision laid at your feet, some small and some huge. 
and you just don't know what to do and you don't know how to figure it out and you feel like maybe you've talked to a bunch of people, maybe you feel like you've prayed through it, maybe you feel like you have gone through scripture or read as much information as you could to make the best decision, but then when it comes down to making the decision, you are just paralyzed by it. So what do you think it is about this decision-making? What paralyzes most people when they're trying to move forward and make decisions? I think fear and doubt. Doubt about what's right, what's the right decision. And I think one of the challenges we face is we frame decisions in terms of right and wrong rather than in terms of good or better. And so we make it a moral thing (laughs) And we feel like if we make the wrong decision, we've ruined our lives. When in reality, uh, most decisions are, don't have that level of weight to them. And then fear comes in. I'm not sure what to do. If I make the wrong decision, I'm going to ruin my life, or I'm going to ruin my kids' lives, or my husband's life, or our lives. And then I'm never going to come back from that. And somehow it's over after this decision. And in most cases, Most decisions I make are not a crossroads I stand at, and right is one way and wrong is the other. There's a lot of different ways to go here, and right might be three or four different ways. But I narrow it down to one right, one wrong, and if I miss it, I've messed up my whole life. I think that doubt and fear comes in, and it causes us to be paralyzed. And for me, I just keep putting it off, putting it off putting it off. And then I hope at some point it'll go away, but it never does. Or you just think the writing will be like in the sky or you'll sit down somewhere and it'll be written on a notepad in front of you, yes. what you should do. Yeah. yeah, or God will miraculously speak to me out of a cloud and you'll say, just wake up. Yep. take the path to the right. I think he would also call you nuthead though. I think he would say, nuthead, it would go be to aff- the right. If he did, it would be affectionate. <laughs> So I read something, I shared this with you right before we started, but I just read this this morning, actually, and I can't remember where it was, but it said that fear is the what if, and that faith is even if. Yeah, that's so rich. The what if is that fatalistic, right or wrong, I've ruined my life, even if is the grace of God over it. The only right or wrong decisions I have to make are about whether or not I'm going to obey God or whether or not I'm going to disobey God. That's the only right or wrong. If I'm walking in obedience to Christ, somebody recently, I think it was our pastor, said something about my responsibility is to obey, and when I obey, God's responsible for the outcome. If I'm walking in obedience to Christ, and that entails a lot of stuff, right? But if I'm walking in willful obedience to Christ, it's almost impossible for me to make a fatal decision that's going to ruin my life because I'm walking in the goodness of God. I'm walking in His grace, in His will, in His mercy, and He wants to bless me. I'm His kid, and He wants the best for me. So I think that statement, the even if, even if I don't make the best decision. God's got this. There's a verse in Psalms, I can't remember the address, that even though if you stumble, you won't fall far because God's going to hold your hand. And that picture that even if I stumble and make the wrong decision, God's got me. It's not me holding on to him, it's him holding on to me. 
And that should be of great comfort when it comes to make a decision one way or the other. Well, and those obstacles that we just talked about, the biggest one is fear and that emotion that just can overwhelm and cause you to be paralyzed in the process of just that what if. And I think when I shared that with you, I said that is very easy for me to say, the what if versus the even if, but it is so much harder to live that out and to know, even if it's not fatalistic, I mean, we even talked about the obedience piece. Well, I think thoughts, this is how my mind works, is I think, okay, I'm trying to be obedient over here, but that's not really what he's asking me to do. In some way, I've just been disobedient because I've not done the thing that he wanted me to do, or it goes down such a rabbit trail. But these obstacles that we talked about, how do we navigate through them? We all know them and feel them, but how do we get through them? Personally, if I'm facing a decision, a significant decision, I'm not talking about where to go eat supper, but I'm talking about something that's a major decision in my life. I need to kind of come up with a process to work, and it needs to be tied to I go back to the different gospel accounts. Each one of them gives an account that when Jesus was coming up on a major crossroads, a decision, a turning point, he went away and spent time with the Father. And his disciples would come and get him and say, man, there's so much to do. And But this was important. He would go, I think if you're going to face a major decision, it's important that you schedule at least a half day off with God, just you and God and the Bible and a notebook and praying and thinking and writing and confessing and repenting. That's the other thing. If i got a major decision to make, I need to make sure I'm clean before God. So that probably means I need to take two hours and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me my heart. Is there any unclean thing in me? And the Holy Spirit certainly has the the commitment to me and the power to reveal to me if I've got things hidden in my life that I'm not dealt with, to bring them to the forefront where I can confess them to God, say the same thing he says, and then turn away from them and be cleansed with them, of them, and then to be filled with the Spirit. And that exercise wipes the slate clean. It takes away a lot of my fear because now I'm walking in confidence in him, not in fear of circumstance. You know, Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things unseen, the confidence of things we can't see, right? When I may face a decision, I don't know what to do. It's an unknown. My fear and my doubt cause me to lack confidence because I'm thinking my confidence is in me. As I reset with God, my confidence is transferred to him, and I know he's got this. And that gives me the strength to make a decision. And again, not right and wrong decisions, but good or better decisions. And then move forward. Well, and even in those moments, I think it can sound, it's intimidating almost to think, you want me to spend a half day just sitting there, like with my Bible and silence? Even that in of itself, I'm like, I don't, can't he just meet me a little quicker? He just, you know, like, even that. Yeah, he, but we got to go on his terms, not ours. And he said, be still and know that I am God. I'll say the moments when I have felt the most lost or the most overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, whatever, for a decision. I can remember one in particular that was just a few weeks ago. 
And I just sat in the floor of my living room. The kids were at their Mother's Day out. Ryan was at work. So it was just me at home. I went home at lunch and I sat in the floor of my living room. I told Alexa to play me some worship music. And I just sat there in that music. And I didn't even have a direction. I didn't have a, any sort of, I came with no agenda, nothing. I just wanted to sit in it for a little while. And it was one of the most sweet, like just the sweetest times for me. And it was about an hour long that I just sat there and I waited for God just to meet me there. And that's all I asked for is just meet me here in this moment and give my heart what it needs right now. I don't know what it is, but I know I need something. But that worship scares the hound out of us. It's total vulnerability. And we expose ourselves to God. And then like for you, when he shows up, oh, it's such a sweet aroma, right? But we live such distracted lives. And he's wanting to do that consistently in our lives. And we do it occasionally. We do it when we're in the most pain or the most uncertainty or the most fear. It's almost like it takes something big for it to happen when really it should be a common practice. I wish it was more in my life because when it is, my stress and anxiety and my fear and doubt decrease and my confidence in him increases and my love for him and my desire for him increase. And that's really the most important thing about making a decision is to have that sense that he's got a direction for me. He wants the best for me. He's not going to punish me, that whole Mm -hmm. thing that if I make a mistake, right? He's not trying to keep it a secret. He's not trying to make you work for it, what the answer could be. Yeah. You know, we talked about, you mentioned there's a, sometimes you can develop some processes for decision making. And part of the process, like you just said, is hammering out some time alone to really listen and hear. And I've seen it over and over that every time I've been without a decision, I don't know what to do when I am in his word, which it sounds so cheesy. I get it. It sounds like, go read your Bible, you'll know what to do. And sometimes, yeah, you'll know exactly what to do. And sometimes it might still be gray. It just means you need to spend a little more time there. Um, But God has faithfully shown me every single time, this is what I want for you. And it's been through his word. But That's the first step in the process, part of the process. What have you discovered over time, some good processes for decision-making or moving forward with decisions? Well, I think like a man. So I'm a process guy. So I'm going to make my list of positives and negatives. If I make this decision, here are the positives for that. Here are the downside of that. If I make this decision, do the same thing, and then I start weighing all of that out, I think wise counsel. And as I was thinking about it, I thought about probably from two different sources, one being somebody that knows me really well and that I trust and knows my heart and my weaknesses and my strengths and my tendencies and all of those kind of things and can speak to me face-to-face, heart-to-heart, and, and speak the truth to me that I have that kind of confidence in. But also somebody that just objectively doesn't know any of the players involved but could just look at it from an objective perspective and say, okay, and start asking me questions. That helps me process and see things that maybe I don't see because I'm too close to it. They can kind of stand on the ridge and look at it and say, okay, what about this? What about that? Have you considered this? I think that's really beneficial. 
So both people really close to you, but also some people that maybe aren't close to you, but have experience and knowledge in whatever area you're making a decision in. And then I think the other thing for me is because I am a procrastinator, I probably need to put a deadline on this decision that I need to make a decision by boom. It it doesn't need to be the laws and the Persians, but I need to understand that at some point I need to make a decision. Now, if the circumstances don't already have that deadline built in, maybe I need to build it in, and then I need to help somebody hold me accountable to that and say, okay, hey, what have you decided? Well, I, I, I put that on. No, this is the deadline. You've got next Tuesday is when you said you, you're going to have this decision made. Okay, are you? What are you doing? Are you going to make this decision Tuesday? Are you going to procrastinate? And because I t- tend to procrastinate, that's really helpful for me. Let's say you're you go into college and you your first year, which I think is still insane. They're like, okay, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Like, pick a major. What are you going to do? Let's say that's the scenario. Or maybe you've been given several job opportunities. You don't know which one to take. Or any season of life, there are times when you are given multiple decisions. Maybe you're trying to buy a house and there are several houses available that you love or whatever it might be, whatever that life decision is. I'm sure you can think of one right now as you're listening. If you have lots of options or steps you could take, that in and of itself is kind of stressful because you're thinking, like you said earlier, these are all good options, but which one's the best option? How do you pick when there's tons of different opportunity. Sometimes it's not just a black or white, yes or no. Sometimes it's you've got to pick what's best. How do you walk through that? Very rarely have I made a decision and been absolutely confident that's the number one best decision I could ever make in the moment. I gained that perspective looking back, not going into. I think, number one, am I clean before God? Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I seeking to do what He wants? There are several options in front of me. Any of those may be in the will of God. You may have four different options, decisions that you could make that would be in God's will. Take the one that you process through and that God begins to give you a leaning toward, right? There's a myth that I think, well, I always get a peace before I make a decision. That's never happened for me. I get the peace afterwards. But as I make the decision, people say, well, I'm waiting on the peace of God before I make the decision. For me, I would have never made a decision about anything. You know, it's funny you say that. This was probably several months ago. I was talking with you and your exact words were, you said, you are waiting on a moment when it's a process. And honestly, it ticked me off because I was like, I want the moment. Like, I want to know with absolute certainty, this is what I should do. And you were just saying it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And here's why. Short-sightedness causes us to want the moment because the moment's about us. The process is about growing our faith in God. And he's more committed to the process than he is the moment. He's going to grow us through the process and grow our trust and our confidence in him. But we want the moment. And he says, "What, what do we talk about all the time? What's the next step? I just need to know the next step. And the next step is to put my foot out and change the weight and step out. And then he'll take care of the next step and show me that, right? But I want it all unveiled all at once. I just want to know for sure. 
I mean, I just yes. That's what I want to say. God, that's not too much to ask. Just okay. just tell me for well, sure. The only problem with that <laughs> is to know for sure doesn't require you have any faith. But I mean, I have it. Just God, I need you to just trust that I have the faith. Just tell me what to do. You know, those are the and conversations goes, that I and have. He goes, "Hey, Callie, I don't play that. I'm not going to do that, Callie, because it's not who I am, and it's not the best thing for you." I'm going to continually bring you to points where you have to go, I'm not sure, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step this way. And as we're stepping, he puts the sure footing under that step. And he goes, see, I told you I had it, Kelly. Now, take the next one. I had that one too, didn't I? I was reading a book. It's called The Next Right Thing. And it's a great book. Emily P. Freeman wrote it. It's incredible. I've loved it I've in my second time reading it. But she points out that in the Gospels, every time Jesus performs a miracle, he always gives you a next step after it. So every time something happens, he always just says, this is what you need to go do now. Here's a step. Go take it. And he doesn't say, this is what the rest of your life is going to look like. He doesn't say, this is where you're going to end up. He just says, here's what's next. Go and do this one thing. Yeah. That's what sanctification is. God continually revealing the next step to grow in my faith with Him and to be conformed to Christ's likeness and less like me and more like Him. And it's always the next step. And the next step always demands faith, not sight, right? And so I'll do good for a while and then I'll stub up on Him and go, I'm not sure. And when I'm not sure, why? Because it's about my fear and my doubt. It's about those emotions that yes. that cloud and they get in your way of making any decisions, not even good decisions. It just gets in your way of making decisions. But how do you separate the emotions from God's call? Because when you're in a time of prayer, even your emotions are working their way in and you're thinking, okay, is this just my own thoughts and my own feelings or is God really trying to get through to me on something? Okay. What kind of emotions are we talking about? I'm very doubtful of emotions. I went through a period in my life where I was like 100% objective. I I could have been a, a psychopath real easy. I'd burned myself so badly by living by emotions, right? But most of the emotions I lived by were negative. Doubt, fear, depression, discouragement, all of those kind of things, right? But there's another whole side of emotions which are positive. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things have an emotional expression in them. When I'm filled with the Spirit, it affects me emotionally. Uh, I can't be joyful and it not have an emotional expression to it. So what emotions are we talking about? If they're negative, doubt, fear, those kind of emotions, I need to set those aside. Jesus said in John 8, if you're going to follow me, abide in my word, abide in my word being Jesus and the written word, settle down and stay put in the word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's in the knowing, not the feeling, that I have to focus when I've got a decision to make. Part of that time with God is to set aside those negative emotions and be filled with the Spirit and let those positive expression of all the fruit of the Spirit begin to flow out of me so that that becomes what guides me, not the negative stuff. You have to keep emotions in the right order. I believe God made us to know Him, 
to make decisions in our will based upon what we know about him and not what we feel about, especially the circumstance we're in. And when I get that reversed, it's going to cause doubt and fear. And then I'm going to be a train looking for a wreck, so to speak. I was listening to a uh, podcast uh, with Bob Goff was on it. And you want to talk about encouragement. He's always just full of encouragement. But he was saying that a lot of times these negative emotions that come in, he said, you know, Jesus would never stand behind you and whisper these things into your heart. He would never speak these things into your heart. And when you allow them to control you, in a sense, you're allowing the enemy to control you. Because Jesus never, ever would stand behind you and say, you are not good enough. You are not smart enough. You are not meant to do this. You know, he would never put that into your heart. So he was talking about running through those thoughts, running them through a filter of who would say this to me. Because when you do that, it's kind of eye-opening of what you're listening to. Yeah, and the filter you run through is the filter of truth. What does God say about you? And what does the enemy? Remember, the enemy's out to kill, steal, and destroy, and lie, and cheat, and deceive. So whose voice is this? And then identify that, deal with it accordingly, and move forward listening to the Spirit of God in you not to the enemy whispering doubt and fear, or to yourself whispering doubt and fear. Because we tend to, based on what's been put into our lives, we can develop patterns of listening to the wrong source. And a good friend of mine is processing all of this right now in, in, in his life, and he's trying to learn to listen to God and not was deposited in him as, as, a, as a child growing up to listen to the truth rather than the untruth that was spoken into his life. Let's say you've made a decision and you're living in it. How do you keep away from regret? How do you not look back and think, oh, maybe the other one would have been better or not just feeling stuck? I mean, let's say you've already been through the decision-making process, you locked it down, and you look back and you think, okay, maybe I should have gone the other way. How do you not live in that? I liken it to my marriage Once you make a decision, there is a sense there's a covenant decision. You counted the cost, and you put your hand to the plow, and you're plowing, and you don't look back. Janie and I were buried. We debated for years about we being each other's one and only, and I told her when we got married, I became your one and only because I made a decision, a covenant decision that you were my marriage partner for the rest of my life. And I set my face in that direction, and I have not looked back. Now, that illustrates what we're talking about. Once you've made a decision that, to the best of your knowledge, your head and your heart, is within the will of God, there's going to come times when, when there things could go, oh, you messed up. No. Go back and, and reframe the truth again. God led me to make this decision. I've made this decision and this commitment. I'm going forward, and I'm not going to look back with regret because all regret does is cause me to live in the past, not the future. Regret is looking in the rearview mirror. All that's going to do is get you to wreck up, up ahead, okay? And so if there's regret, again, unless it's a a moral decision that you've chosen to do wrong, you've chosen evil over good, No, you set your face to it and you go forward. And when thoughts or feelings of regret, you set them aside and keep moving forward. 
you know, a lot of these decisions revolve around your God-given purpose. You're trying to figure out what it is and how do you get positioned to do it. And I think that comes maybe right out of college in your mid to late 20s, early 30s. You start kind of settling into what God's called you to do. You're trying to figure it out and, and get to do it. How have you navigated that journey? Because it is riddled with decisions. I mean, left and right. How did you navigate that? We tend to narrow God's call into vocation. And I think that's a mistake. I have several callings on my life. I'm called to be a faithful child of God. My primary calling is to love God and to live for His glory. That's my number one calling in my life. Secondly, my calling, uh, I think we touched on this in the first episode that we did, that I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to be a father. And then I got a vocational calling, which is for me to be a pastor teacher in a local church. How did I come to that? Well, to be honest with you, I tried a lot of stuff that I hated and was terrible at, which eliminated several things, okay? Okay. Just got those out of the way early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was a period of time when I was in open rebellion against God. And once I got the open rebellion gone and I got back to surrender to Christ, he began to put things in my life. And uh, I had a lady who was uh, the youth leader in my home church. I just got fired off a job. I had been hired for a specific job, and I was the world's worst at that ever. In fact, if you look at the dictionary now, my picture's still there. I'm in the Hall of Fame of Worst. And I didn't have a job. And she came to me and handed me a book and said, you're teaching youth Bible school this next week. I didn't know anything about teaching the Bible. So I start reading and studying Ephesians 1, the doctrines of salvation, what it means to be in Christ, how to find my identity in Him instead of all this other stuff I'd been trying to get. And it just rocked my world. And I stumbled and bumbled through that. But in the midst of it, there was a sense that I really enjoyed this. I didn't know what I was doing. And that is how God began to call me to what I do now, which is vocational pastor-teacher role in a local church. But it was a slow step, same thing we talked about earlier. It was a step-by-step path process over a period of four years, five years where God took me to that place, gave me the training I need, the experience I needed. And again, it goes back to day by day, just walking in faith, trusting God. And I came to that because I enjoyed it. God blessed it. And the joy was not a personal selfish joy. It was the joy of the Holy Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit when I was doing it. And that's how I came to know that area of my life. But understand, that's third or fourth on the list, down my list of callings. Child of God, husband, father, then the pastor-teacher role. So I, I think at times we tend to isolate vocational calling and ignore the others. And if we do that, we're going to get off track. And this is the vocational thing is going to become too important and too much a part and, and then we get out of balance. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes great sense. I mean, even before we started recording, we were just talking and you said, you know, the thing that 
God's probably gifted you and called you to do is the thing that brings you so much joy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have great joy in following Jesus, great joy in being a wife and a mother. I, I could not describe the joy I have in that. But then God has slowly been revealing in other areas of my life the things that make me so happy when I get to do them and yes. bring so much joy. Like I walk away from it just feeling filled to the brim. And a lot of times those are the things that you were created to do. Yes. Those are your giftedness. Those are the things that God's placed in your life to give you a sense of purpose and joy. We, we talked earlier. Uh, my wife told me years ago that when I teach the Bible, I dance. Now, I have no rhythm. When I'm teaching the Word of God in a way that I see that people are getting it and it's transforming their lives, there is a dance in my soul that is uncontrollable. And I think that's what we're talking about. And I think sometimes we're almost ashamed of that. But when you find what God's gifted and called you to do, Romans 11, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You get them at salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, he brings them with him. And he ain't going nowhere. But when you find that, man, it's just, it's a kick. And when you don't do it, it's like you're thirsty in the desert. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect analogy. And I think I'm so thankful that a lot of the times the things that I feel like God has gifted me to do were brought about by being under some strong leadership in my life that has said, hey, you're good at that. You seem excited to do it. Let's position you to do it. But I don't think you always have to be paid to do your giftedness. You might not be able to get paid to do it, but you still got to find ways to do it. Absolutely. It's just like a friend of mine in the last year and a half has gotten involved in the host team. His primary gift is probably serving. Behind the scenes, he doesn't care if anybody ever knows what he's doing. But this this guy absolutely enjoys parking cars and finding people's seats in the worship center. And when he does it, he's excited. And it's a joyful thing for him because he's using that gift and calling to serve God and to serve others and to serve the church. And that's what we all got to find. We got to find that place. Now, understand that in a fallen world, I don't get to do that all the time. There's a lot of stuff I have to do to get to do that, right? But when I get to do it, I'm just having a ball. And you can watch this guy parking cars. He really likes it. You know, to practically talk about that, just... Find the things that bring you, bring your heart just the most joy and that you leave excited that you got to do it because it left someone better or left you better, left the people around you, whatever. Find those things and then find ways to do them. I mean, a lot of times there are plenty of opportunities for you to do what you are gifted at, whether it is service or hospitality, or maybe it's just you love opening your home up to people. I mean, there are so many ways you can do that. And it doesn't have to be a career. If it gets to be a career or a job, then you are in a sweet spot. Yes. But a lot of times you can use those gifts in a career calling that you don't think has anything to do with your gifts and callings before God. And yet in that career, you're called to live for the glory of God. And you bring him the most glory when you're using your gifts and calling in that role out in the community, being light, being salt, and people interact with you. One of the things I'm convinced of 
is as we're out in a community and we're living Christ out in front of people, three responses, and this is true in the Gospels and the Book of Acts, people are going to have three responses to us living out the Jesus out in the community. Some are going to reject it out of hand and oppose it. That's a given. Some are going to want to know more. But some are going to embrace it because immediately it's attractive to them. Jesus is attractive. He's a sweet aroma. He's a good taste. And when they experience coming out of you into them, they're drawn to him. And that's the whole point anyway, isn't it? Then, who can't get fired up about that, right? I can't help but think about the video of the situation in Texas where the police officer mistakenly killed a man in an apartment above her. The scene where her brother speaks in court at the sentencing of the police officer. And it's only the gospel makes that possible. And he expressed love for her and said, I don't wish you to go to jail. I wish for you to give your life to Christ and live for him. And then he asked the judge, can I go hug her? I saw that when the man's brother who died hugged the the woman who was responsible for him dying. Mm -hmm. That was an incredible picture. But that's what we're supposed to be doing all the time. That young man and the loss of his brother decided to accurately reflect the person and personality of Jesus in that moment with his gifts and abilities and his calling. I don't know what he does, but I do know this. He is being a bright light. And that's what calling is about. Absolutely. So as we wrap up this conversation, what are some resources that we can kind of lean on? Are there books that you know are great? Are there things that you, when people come to you and say, I don't know what to do, what do you usually tell them is their next step? Honestly, take a half day and go get with God and do the work of confession and repentance and worship and make sure that you've got a clear connection between you and God, that you're hearing from Him clearly, that it's Him about you, and then define your process and work your process. There are a lot of great resources out there, books. I got a book here somewhere on my shelf that was written like 40 years ago, and it is the most detailed guide to making a decision in the will of God, and it's a great resource. But ultimately, it's about your relationship, not about a book you read, right? I think that's the most important resource there is. Other things come and go and change and morph, but that doesn't. And so I hope I'm not copping out or falling short, but I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's the um, it's the most obvious. It should be the most obvious and kind of the easiest step, but sometimes it's just the hardest. And I think we want someone to tell us immediately. I know the first time I sat down in your office, I wanted you to just in that moment tell me exactly what to do. And that's when you said, it is not a moment. It's going to be a process. And preparing yourself for the process and taking the first step in the process, it sometimes brings some of the most peace. One of the things I found in my life, when I quit trying to be the Holy Spirit for people, my life got a lot simpler. I could have given you an answer in that moment, but you wouldn't have found God to find the answer. You would have found Don, and I would have shortchanged you. That's not fair to you. It's much more for you to have an encounter with God and Him to speak clearly to you. And then the next time, you don't need me to do that. You've already learned that path, right? 
Sometimes you just have to do the work. You just have to there, do the work. Not sometimes. All Every the time, time you have to do it. And you know what the work is? Mm-hmm. The work is the work of obedience. Am I going to trust God enough to do what he says, tells me to do? And if I'm willing to do that, he's not going to burn me. He's not going to let me fall. He's got me. And we go back to that picture, but it's so true. I think sometimes we're too negative or too fatalistic when it comes to decision-making, and we need to relax and rest in the goodness of God in His character, because uh, it's always more about Him than us anyway. But usually when I'm worried about decisions, it's about me, and I'm not about Him enough. And so, again, the best resource you have is to go to the Savior, get with Him, spend time with Him, be still, listen, just like you did sitting in your living room listening to worship music, and God showed up, and you knew it was Him. I didn't have to guess at it. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. and He didn't necessarily give you your answer in that moment, but He— He met me there. Yeah, and you didn't need the answer. You just mm-hmm. need Him. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. You know, Nahed, as you do know, we wrap up— Every single episode with one question. And what are you so happy that someone did tell you about? What do you love right now? Three Sunday nights ago, I get home from church and my seven-year-old grandson, Noah, calls me. He said, Paul? I said, yes. He said, I just asked Jesus into my heart. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to cry. And I said, you did? I said, I've been praying for you for that. He said, you have? I said, yes. I said, did you ask? Did you do it with Dad? He said, No. He said, I asked Dad and Mom to go out of my bedroom. I wanted it to be just me and Jesus. Even he knows already. Yes. He knows what the process is. Yes. (laughs) Right? Yes. So I'm really glad Noah called me and told me that. I can't think of a better way to finish this episode than that right there, Nuthead. Thank you so much for the patience and the wisdom that you pour into so many lives. And I know that this will be a bit of a world rocker for a lot of people, but I'm excited to see how it speaks into the lives of a lot of people. Well, I appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing it well. Hey, we're going to hang in there, see what happens next. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.